Welcome to Jacked and Happy. Today we're talking to one of my favorite humans, Mike Ayala. He's a friend, mentor, business partner, uh, investor, speaker, podcaster, founder of Investing for Freedom. Uh, Mike primarily works with Velocity Venture Partners, where he raises money for alternative assets, including manufacturing home communities, luxury vacation rentals, and service businesses. At the age of 24, Mike founded his first construction company that scaled to more than 100 employees and sold it in 2014 at $12 million. So the guy is a legend. Now he does um, couples mentoring with his wife, Kara. They have an amazing family. His approach to life is just spot on. So I'm so excited for you guys to learn from him. He talks about his best investment ever and... Uh, the guy's mindset is incredible. So really excited for this podcast and also just to have him around in life. He's an amazing human being. So thank you for tuning in. And as always, stay jacked and happy. Welcome to Jacked and Happy. I'm Elliot Schwartz, whiskey lover, bacon eater, real estate investor, and a big kid at heart. I'm bringing you epic conversations with everyday people doing legendary things who are just as successful as they are happy. Let's freaking go. Welcome to the Jacked and Happy Podcast. I got on my mentor, friend, the guy who changed my life. Uh, he's a hero to me. And he is um, he's a light in a world of investing and business and family. And I can't wait for you to be a household name. Mike Ayala, welcome to the show. What do you mean? Can't wait? Am I not already a household name? No, I'm. Just well, you're kidding. in our household, but yeah, you know, yeah. I want, I want you to like, I want you to be like the Kleenex, the tissue yeah, paper. I'm like know? a Kirby vacuum. <laughs> oh man, so good to have you on, dude. Um, let's just start with uh the the firing squad at easy questions. Yeah, let's do it. What is your definition of happiness? Man. You know, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately, just thinking about happiness and joy. Yeah. And okay, so my definition of happiness is really just there's so many versions of this. That's a good question, man. Um, for me, happiness is honestly just being able to spend time with people that I really just love to be with. And that's primarily, you know, my wife, my kids, um, good friends like you, but you know, I have the podcast investing for freedom and it's almost like the same thread as freedom for me. Freedom is like mm. being able to just do whatever I want whenever I want. And that's kind of what happiness is too. And when I was talking about joy and happiness, I've been thinking about this because I can be full of joy in life, even when things are challenging. I might not be happy with my circumstances and scenarios sometimes because, you know, you and I talk about this a lot, like things are not always easy. Um, you know, I think sometimes people look from the outside and and they look at like business leaders or successful people or whatever, and they're like, oh man, he's got it so easy. He's happy all the time. Like, no, you get your ass handed to you um, <laughs> on every single day in business leadership, you know, having employees, having clients. I remember when I sold my first business in 2014, I was like, okay, my next business is going to be something where I don't have any employees and I don't have any customers. Like I don't have to deal with any humans. <laughs> and it just doesn't exist. And so like, I've been thinking about this joy versus happiness. There's days where I'm not happy, 
not whole days. I don't actually think an entire day goes by ever where I'm not happy, but there's periods of time throughout the day where I'm not like happy with a circumstance or what I'm doing right now, or even sometimes the work we have to do, but I can be joyful in my life, be a joyous person, even dealing with that. So I know it's semantics, but that's happy for me. Just being able to mostly be with who I want to be with. No, it's not. It's not semantics at all. I think it's uh, really wise too. It's tough because happiness is a little bit of a superficial word. And I love how you kind of skirted around that and just like your joy, your overall feeling and energetic joy is always underlying. Mm -hmm. And you've created that, you've manifested that, you've worked for that. It's intentional and happiness follows that. Yeah. And I think what I'm kind of getting at with joy too, as I've been thinking through this, um, joy is like, joy is a state of being like, I'm a joyful person. Mm. And I think happiness is like an emotion to me. And people might, again, look at that differently, but, um, you know, happiness is like my current state. Am I happy right now? Well, most of the time, yeah, like Mike's a pretty happy person, but honestly, there's some, there's some periods of time through the day, like in front of me, I have this whole glass thing that overlooks my yard. And sometimes I want to throw things through the glass, but then I look out there and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have nothing to not be joyful about in life in general. So I think like joy, joy is really like a persona. It's like how we show up. It's, it's who, like, I'm a joyful person. And I think happiness is like an emotion and it's really hard to be happy and angry at the same time. And fortunately, I like, I think I spend 90% of my happiness or my time in the happiness zone because I'm jacked and happy. But I think you can be joyful and experience all these other emotions too, anger. I know that sounds crazy, but. No, I 100% think so. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> I believe you 100%. Um. You said jacked and happy and jacked is not like jacked. It's like, Hey, what are you excited about? Because I created the podcast. What am I, what am I, how, what is my state of being going to be? And I'm going to be jacked and happy. I'm going to be excited about what I'm doing and joyful. What are you excited about this year? It could be personal. It could be professional. What has you most excited for this year? Dude, this is a year, man, so many things. Um, my daughter, is my youngest and she graduated high school and she's going off to Ireland on a YWAM trip um, here in the next couple of months. I'm excited for her to go see the world. Um, she's literally the last one. Tim moved out yesterday. He got an apartment. Dylan has oh. an apartment. Um, so, I mean, we're literally, we're literally like two months away from being empty nesters. And I'm not excited about the fact that my kids are, you know, not living with me anymore. That's not what I'm jacked and happy about. I'm jacked and happy that they're like finding their way and, you know, um, man, they're just, they're just, they're good humans. They're good adults. And so I'm just kind of excited to enter this new season, like with Kara, I'm excited for them to enter their new seasons of, you know, being adults on their own. And Dylan's been on his own for a while, but like, just kind of watching that is cool. I'm also excited about like what we're doing together, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, I'm excited about a lot of new things that I'm learning in business. I've always ran brick and mortar businesses. Um, but then, you know, what we met through Chris Harder's mastermind primarily because I wanted to kind of understand online business a little bit better, which is, you know, I mean, I'm starting the podcast and, and learning kind of like the mastermind side of the business and, and running ads and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm diving really deep into a lot of that stuff this year. And 
So I don't know. It's just kind of fun when you're learning new stuff. So I'm jacked and happy about that. I love it. Continual process, continual learning. That's I think one of the things I admire most about you is you could be on a beach somewhere, sipping Mai Tais, hanging out with the fam, relaxing, and you are more fired up and up to more things now. It feels like you're, like you showed me like, hey, look at my schedule. And it was like freaking jam-packed. And that is so cool that you're choosing to do that. What what's the what What's the drive behind that? What has you just show up ready to kick ass now? How, how do you manifest that? Is it just natural? I think it's natural in seasons. Um, I think I'm really intentional. And I, I mean, we could talk about this for an entire episode, but I was talking to a mutual friend. We, we talked about it a little bit off screen, but I had breakfast this morning with a mutual friend and I was just talking to him to be really, really aware of the season that you're in in life. And I think that's one thing that we miss when we're giving people advice you know, he's got a little baby. My babies are <laughs> like, my babies, my babies are all grown. And yeah, you know, I'm just looking and we probably talked about this a little bit, but Kara and I, we had babies when, I mean, she was 20 when Dylan was born. I was 21. Our entire adult life has been building businesses, building an investment portfolio and raising kids. And now my daughter's 19, Tim's 21 and Dylan's 22. And, and Kara and I are like sitting back looking like, um, we did it right. Like we built businesses and we were successful, but we were also really present with our kids and, and did vacations and traveled a lot. And, you know, I always surrounded myself. There's, there's a the book called who, not how I was really good at that naturally because I didn't want to miss out on things that I, you know, I didn't have a dad that was present growing up and I wanted to be the dad that was present. I wanted to be the present husband. And so I was like, always really good at surrounding myself with like team members and leadership so that I could take vacation. So we did all that. And Elliot, I found myself like Kara and I having a conversation like three months ago. And I told Kara, I said, man, sometimes I feel like, you know, cause we're always in other masterminds and groups and we're comparing ourselves to people around us. And I'm in this group called go abundance. And man, a few years ago, I was kind of like in the top, you know, 15, 20% of go abundance. If uh, that's just a round number, but dude, go abundance has grown so much. And there's guys that are worth a hundred million and 50 million and 30 million. And now I'm in this champions room. And I'm like, I feel like the little man. And by the way, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, if you're the smartest guy in the room, find a bigger room. I always want to be uncomfortable in the rooms I'm in, not from a comparison standpoint of negativity. We have to be really careful with that, but to challenge me to go higher. But back to what I was saying about what, like with Kara, I said, when I, I'm surrounded by all these like high performing, super successful people. And I, I found myself thinking, man, I feel like I've kind of wasted the last six, seven, eight years. Like. I could be so much further along than what I am. And then, you know, I sat with that for a little bit, Elliot. And I was like, no, I was right where I needed to be. My kids were teenagers. You know, we were intentionally not grinding too much. We were not like I sold the business in 2014. And, and again, it's comparison to what, but then I think I could have done so much more in the last five, six, seven years. And I started feeling that like, you know, it's too late and I wasted five years of my life. And then you look around you and you're like, I've done quite a bit still, even during that time, but I was right where I needed to be because the season that I was in was being present with my teenagers. Now, long-winded answer, and I'll bring it to, you know, why I'm jacked and happy now and excited about all this. Well, my kids are all gone and Kara are like, Kara and I are like, man, I feel like I'm in a new season where I'm just ready to grind. And you see this all the time. You see people that like, 
you know, they went to college and they grind in their twenties and then they, you know, they're on their career path, doctors, lawyers, business owners. And then they start having kids when they're 35, 40, doesn't matter. That's just the way they did it. But we did it the opposite way. And I kind of feel like, I mean, I'm 44 now and I feel like, you know, I built successful businesses and an investment portfolio and all that. So I'm not taken away from it, but I kind of feel like I'm in, I'm in act three, maybe of my life. You know, there was the me up to 20 and then there was me and Kara getting married when I was 20, having kids, building businesses. That was the next 20 years. And I'm kind of like, man, what does 44 to 64 look like um, where I'm ready to grind? So that's how, and that's why, because I feel like I'm in a season of, I mean, I don't have anything holding me back. Not that my kids held me back, but it was an intentional phase of like raising children. That's what I was going to add to that is there's immeasurable things that outside of a business portfolio and, you know, the assets you're stacking and the, you know, what you're worth, the net worth, there's stuff outside of that, that you were being intentional about. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things you're most excited about is your, your kids leaving the home, them being good humans, them having, you know, a good head on their shoulders. Gonna, and you feel confident that they're going to have a good rest of their life from this trajectory. Yeah. That is a huge win and took a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of intention, both you and Kara. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you're building businesses. So it's like, it's just tough because you look at somebody else with a hundred million dollar net worth. Well, let's dive a little bit deeper. How's this, how's his marriage? Mm -hmm. How are his kids? Mm -hmm. You know, how did he, did he achieve balance? Is his health, is he about to have freaking diabetes? And you just never know what they have to sacrifice mm -hmm. to get there. And, you know, you just, I think when you look at holistically what you've achieved from a family perspective, a business perspective, it's hard, it's hard to argue that there's anyone else who's done it better. Mm. If from, from my outside third person opinion, like me and Lindsay really look up to you guys and, and honor you guys for that journey. So it, I, I think, I think it's, it's cool that you just kind of self, you stuck, you, you had to take a step back, took a breath. No, I've actually done this. Mm -hmm. I've actually done this the right way. I've and kept things priorities that I've wanted to keep. Yeah. That's really important. And now you have another 50 years that you can work and Hey, with that energy and the three good kids who love you and that you don't have to bail out of jail or give up half your assets for a dumb mistake they made or a divorce, dude, you're going to be looking good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> like, like another Maybe like another 80 years because I'm going to live to 128. Just saying. <laughs> okay. I believe it. It was modern technology. You never know. You never know. You know, one more thing that kind of got me thinking about this too. We, we have our couples uh, mastermind that we do. And we had an event here and we had a guy come in and speak. His name was Mike Chu. And he was talking about Esther Perel. And of course, he's speaking to a room of couples, right? And he said, this quote that Esther Perel made, she said, all of us will be married not all of us. She said, most of us will be married three times in our lifetime. The question is, will it be to the same person? Mm. And what she was really getting at was like, you know, the version, the person that I married when Kara was 19 and I was 20, like she's a whole different person and I'm a whole different person. That's what really got me thinking about, because I'd been thinking about these seasons of like, you know, fatherhood. And I actually went through a period of time where I was really struggling because I was like, dude, my everything that I've like stood for is coming to an end. Like, I feel like I'm not a dad anymore. And a good mentor of mine, his name's Mike McCarthy. He's one of the founders of GoBundance. He said, Mike, 
that's the farthest from the truth. Your kids, maybe they're not, maybe you're not their daddy anymore. And I would argue that like with Kate and my daughter, I'll always be her daddy, but you know, maybe, maybe you're not their daddy anymore, but you're entering a season where they might actually need you more than they've ever needed you because they're in adulthood. And like a lot of times, and two different people told me this too, like their relationship with their father, like got exponentially better when they became young adults, because, mm. you know, like kids have, and this is a generalized statement, but kids have a better relation. They need mom more in their early years than they may need their dad, at least from an outward expression standpoint. Right. But yep. a lot of times that relationship changes. And so anyway, I had been thinking about that from a parenting perspective with my kids from a seasonal perspective. But then when Esther, that quote with Esther Perel about like also understanding the different seasons that we're in, um, it made me really realize something else on this thread. The version, and this this further answers your question. There's a version of Mike that I worked really hard to build that was a very positive version, like the best version of me. Be present, have dinner with your kids every night, say no to meetings. Like my default answer to travel and meetings was no. No, I can't have dinner with you. I understand you're flying into town. No, I can't have dinner with you. I got football games. I got baseball games. My default answer was no. I want to be home with my kids. I want to travel as little as possible during this season. Very, very good version of Mike that we built. I have to murder that version of me. I actually found myself struggling a year and a half ago because my default answer was still no, but I didn't actually need to be home every night. And I actually thrive on being out with people and in events and stuff like that. And when my default was, no, I can't travel. No, I can't speak at your event. No, I can't come to your event. No, I can't have lunch with you. No, I can't have dinner with you. It actually got me into an unhealthy place because my kids are not even home for dinner half the time. And Kara doesn't mind if I go out to dinner with the guys, you know, once or twice a week, it doesn't matter or clients or whatever it is. So I actually found myself in an unhealthy spot because I had these previous default versions of me that were served me very well in the past that no longer serve me. So when it comes to these seasons, I think we all need to be taking inventory of like, what's a former version of me that served me and was powerful in my world that no longer needs to exist. That's freaking fire, dude. And it's so, it's so true. I actually felt the same way in COVID. I actually got into really bad patterns of isolation from forced for so long. And then when it was time to open up, I'm like, oh, I'm used to this. This is my comfort zone now. Mm. I'm just going to do another Zoom meeting. No, lunch, that's 40 minutes away. I'm not doing that. Like, I can walk to the kitchen and grab myself a sandwich right there. It's it's real. That's really, that's really good. Okay, we have one of the best business minds in my network on this call. What has been your best investment to date? Man. Best investment. I'll just, I'll preface by saying this. We all have our own buy box. We all have, you know, our own things that we measure investments by. Um, my best investment today is probably a building that I still own. Um, it's a 12,000 square foot commercial building. Gosh, there's so many. Um, and again, I'll, I'll tell you why this is my best investment today. It's because I put no money down. And it's made me a lot of money along the way. And it's worth a heck of a lot more money than when I bought it. So this is a 12,000 square foot building um, in Northeastern Nevada. 
uh, we used to do a lot of work for this guy that um, owned the cabinet shop and he also owned that business or that building. And I used to do a lot of work for him, like from a remodeling standpoint and then the plumbing and HVAC too. So he would go in and do these high-end kitchens, baths, and we would be the plumbers, HVAC guys, and, you know, sheet rockers and stuff like that on the job. Well, I walk in, so we started really promoting our remodeling services and I walk into his office one day and he's, by the way, I've always said this, a mentor taught me this. If you can find somebody with one of the four D's, death, divorce, don't want them, or some form of disaster in their life, there's probably a really good deal on the other side of that. And a lot of people would say that's predatory, but the reality is if you find somebody that's in one of those four D's, um, he was getting a divorce and he had not death, but a disease. He had multiple mm. scler MS. So he wasn't doing a very good job running his business anymore. And he was in the middle of a divorce. Um, so I walk into his business and, and he says to me, Hey, I've been noticing you've been advertising, you know, construction and your remodeling services a lot. Why don't you buy me out? You're going to be doing cabinets pretty soon. I said, Don, I'm not going to be doing cabinets, but interesting thought. And he said, no, seriously, buy me out. It'd be a good addition to your business. I look at him and I said, Don, I don't really have a lot of cash right now. Cause I mean, this is a big building. It's a nice commercial building with three tenants. He's got this full shop, you know, a, a locally owned cabinet shop that had been there since like since the seventies, one owner, he built this building. Like he's the one that built it. I'm like, Don, I don't have a lot of money, but this is interesting. And he said, well, maybe we could work something out. He said, let me talk to our accountant. And he had the same accountant as we did. So he comes back and he says, Mike, I'm going to sell you the business for 400,000 and the building for 800,000. And I was like, okay. I'm like, Don, I don't have a lot of money. I don't know if I can finance this right now. He said, give me 10% down and I'll carry the note at 5% interest for 10 years. So I'm like 10% down, 120,000, 1.2 million. Sounds like a decent deal. I come back to him. I said, Don, uh, by the way, he had an appraisal in his hand and he said, I think, um, so the appraisal was for 620,000 for this building, but it was like from 2004 and this was 2012. I said, Don, I think, I think your, uh, I think your building's worth seven. I'll give you 700,000 for the building. I'll give you 400 for the business. He's like, okay, deal. And then, so we're looking at this down payment, which was now 110,000 instead of 120. And as we're going through the process, I said, Don, as I started really doing some due diligence on his bill, uh, like on his business, he had a bunch of inventory that was like outdated. I said, Don, I'm going to need to throw some working capital in your business for inventory. This equipment needs fixed. And um, you've really let your business go downhill. Every year, year over year, it had gone down by like 20%. I said, I don't think I can give you the money for the down payment because I'm going to have to put $100,000, $200,000 into this business. And he said, well, what if I carry the down payment? <laughs> I'm like, perfect deal. So <laughs> he carries the down payment on a separate note. So basically it was $4,000 a month for the down payment till the down payment was caught up. And then he carried the note at 5% interest, um, which was better than any hard money I could have got at that point in time. I mean, commercial loan would have been five and a half percent then. So I get this business with no, I get a business and a building with no money down. Um, you know, operated that business for a while. Um, eventually sold the business, still own the building today. I just had that building appraised yeah. at 1.35 million. Oh. Yeah. And I owe, I owe. So after 10 years, I bought that in 2012. 
So in 2022, we refinanced that building and I owe like 450,000 on that building right now. And it's worth 1.35 million. So dude, I mean, it cash flowed the entire time. I put no money into this building or the, or the business for that matter, the deal got all of this for no money down, sold the business along the way, had the business for a while, made money. And today that building is worth 1.35 million when I paid 700. But it, but again, it's been paying me every month since. So that's probably the best. That is a great investment. Thank you. <laughs> did you, um, how long did that negotiation process, process take? Was it pretty quick or did it last a little while? Well, it was pretty quick between him and I. Where it got a little weird because um, he's in the middle of, div of a divorce caused by him, essentially. Um, so he's negotiating with me, but there's a 50% owner of all of this that's not really part of the negotiations. And so we literally went to the, this is no, no joke. So I have my attorney, he has his attorney, she has her attorney. So we're going to the closing table. I think the deal's done. Like we've got everything decided between our two attorneys. We share the same CPA. We get to the closing table and all the parties are there. Yeah. All the attorneys, him, his wife, me, my wife, and we sit down in this conference room and dude, they just start freaking fighting. Oh my Like God. she just starts saying, I'm not agreeing to this. And blah. like my attorney grabs, like he taps us and he's like, let's, we're going to step out. <laughs> so we like step out of the, the conference room and we're like standing out in the hallway, just hearing her like unload on him. Finally, finally they like separated him and her and the attorneys had a conversation not even our attorney, their attorneys. And then uh, they called us back in. Well, they called the couple back in and then they had a little bit of a conversation and then we got called back in and was like, they're like, okay, look, the framework of the deal works. There's some things that these guys need to figure out on the backside, but we're going to let you guys sign the documents. Um, we're going to do everything through a, a trust. And so we got the deal done that day. The negotiations were fast, but I thought they were falling apart, like at the closing table, but they worked it out. They knew that like we had a deal done here and it was in the best case scenario, but man, you just never know. You never know what's coming. That's amazing. That's an amazing story, dude. How, <laughs> I feel like that's a probably, there's deals like that out there. I heard Cody Sanchez on her Instagram say that I think there's like a thousand businesses are going, are being sold or going out of business a month. Something crazy with baby boomer with the boomers going um like family owned businesses. I think there's a lot of opportunity in that space. I do too and that would make some sense because you know there's I think it's pushing 12 or 13,000 baby boomers retiring every day and I think I think 55 or 60% of you know small businesses doing like 6 million and under are owned by baby boomers. So I agree with you man. There's like there's huge opportunity in business buying. What was what was the worst investment you ever made? Oh man, I've made a lot of those too. <laughs> <laughs> um, or what was the worst? Let me change it. What's the worst investing advice you ever got? Let me answer them both. Um, yes the the worst investing advice I ever got was probably. Um, I don't know that it was exact advice, but it's a theory that's out there. Um, 
And it's the idea of, you know, loving. I'm, I'm somewhat asset agnostic. And the idea that's, you know, thrown around of like loving your product or whatever, you know, like if you love building cabinets, like, and you start a cabinet company, you'll never work a day in your life. Dude, I think that's all <laughs> bullshit. Um, mm. I, you know, Dylan Burns, who did a lot of content for me for a long time, he asked me one time on an interview, he said, did you just love plumbing? Like what, what drove you to start a plumbing business? And I'm like, dude, who loves plumbing? Like nobody freaking loves plumbing. You know what I loved about the idea of starting a plumbing business? I hated showing up at a customer's house, knowing that there was not a customer service process along the way. And I would have customers that were pissed at me because we were supposed to show up last week and they got rescheduled on. And then I was supposed to be there at 10 o'clock this morning and it's two o'clock in the afternoon. And I show up at this customer's house and they're pissed off at me. And I have nothing to do with that whole process. Like I'm just going where they tell me. And so I was excited. I was excited to start a business in an old, boring business like plumbing, where we could provide a better level of service, not necessarily a better product. Cause I used to tell my technicians this all the time. What's the difference between my American standard toilet and Snyder mechanicals? Nothing. The only difference, it has nothing to do with the product. It has to do with the way that we present that product, the way we service that product, the way we deliver the customer service experience, all of the above. So I think, I think the worst advice ever is this, you know, idea that like we have to be in love with the product that we're delivering. That's not true. And really at the end of the day, like I'm asset agnostic, I'm product agnostic. You know what I'm in love with? Serving humans. Like finding a better way to deliver a better product to more people, better people. I just love people. And, you know, we get asked this question all the time. Like, what do you think is the purpose of life? And there's all these different things like, oh, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to land on the moon or I'm going to disrupt a tech industry or whatever it is. We're working on luxury, you know, vacation rentals. Dude, I can get excited about that. The houses that we're going to do together are freaking amazing. You know what makes me really excited about this? doing it with you and being able to utilize that house and to run masterminds at that house and to know that the way that you're structuring these houses, like people are going to be able to come in there and not have to worry about one more thing other than getting their people there. And they're going to know that when they rent a house from you for a two or three day mastermind, that there's so many things that are taken off their plate. And that experience is going to be amazing. And it's one less thing for them to worry about to change people's lives. And so the idea of like, you know, falling in love with your product or service or whatever. It's all bullshit in my mind. What really matters is serving those people. And so I think the worst advice ever is like, oh, you love making cabinets? Like start a cabinet shop and you'll never work a day of your life. That's, that's stupid. Um, so, <laughs> uh, that, solid, solid rant. Yeah. That was fantastic. <laughs> the worst investment I probably ever made was probably, you know, I bought a portfolio of single family properties um, all from one guy. And I was so excited. I was so excited to get this deal done that I didn't, I didn't have enough time to look under the hood of some of the properties and, and the way that he was breaking up his rents and they were spread out through, um, you know, one, two, three, diff four different communities that were like three hours apart. And you know, it ended up being fine because I was able to kind of like peel that portfolio apart and sell some of them and remodel some of them. And he ended up working with me, you know, through, through the, the deal itself. Cause he was also carrying a note, 
but a lot of these were not even financeable. Um, and you know, I, I was so excited to get a big portfolio done at once that I, I jumped in a little faster than I should have. And again, it worked out. Um, and that's the thing that I would say to your audience is like, the one thing you'll find out about me is like, I'm not scared to make mistakes. I'm not scared to jump into things I don't understand. And so while that was probably, you know, one of the worst investments I had ever made, it worked out because once we make mistakes, you're in it. There's nothing you can do about it. And, and, you know, so we either, we either win or we learn. Right. So I don't look at like failures or losses as a bad thing. Um, I immediately sold off like seven of the properties that were in a community I didn't want to be in. And um, I still own probably 20 of those doors. So it wasn't, it wasn't a complete, it just was a pain in the ass for a while. As your business partner currently, I can testify. Mike truly lives that. He, so when I first got started, I was like analysis paralysis. I wasn't making any mistakes. I was waiting too long to act. I was having trouble being the captain. He's always like, dude, you're the captain. Let's go. Like, let's, let's move. Let's do stuff. And then I started doing it. I started making some mistakes because I, you know, I'd never done capital raising and I would say, sometimes I'd say the wrong thing. You were so much lenient, more lenient. And like, there's a happy mic and there's a business mic. Business mic can be a little bit tough but always fair. And it's like, when I made a mistake, you're like, Hey man, you said it this way. No problem. When I'm not doing anything, you're like, Hey man, get off your ass and do like, that's what pisses you off the most is like, you're not making mistakes. And so, so cool that not only do you live, you live like that, but you mentor like that. You approach with your business partners like that. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Cool. Mm -hmm. Go out and make mistakes. Like you are truly a man of action and getting out there and done is better than perfect. You really, you really live that. And I think that's for anybody trying to get into a space or starting something new or, you know, taking a big leap, that is such a valuable lesson to learn. And it, the quicker you can get into action, make messy mistakes, the better. And that's cool that you've lived like that. And you also coach and mentor around that, like that too. It's neat. Well, the only way to really learn, I mean, we sit back and we try to learn everything before we, you know, move into it. And the reality is you can't like, you just, mm. there's no, there's different types of learning and I don't want to go off on a tangent on this, but there's different types of learning. And for me, like the best way to learn is to just get into it. You can only read so many books. And, you know, I say this from a practical perspective, it's impossible to steer a parked car. Like you cannot. And so many people are sitting in the driver's seat of their life and their vehicle and they're just there. It's, it's not even started. Like you don't even have the freaking car on and it's definitely not in gear and you're going nowhere. And it's your vehicle. It's your life. It's your journey. And so many people are like, you know, wanting to take the Uber method for business. Like you want to just jump in the back seat and have somebody drive you somewhere, dude, no, nobody's, nobody's doing that. I mean, if we're, even if we're a partner's like it's you and I taking turns, you might be driving, but I'm in the front seat with you. Like I'm not being chauffeured around. And so like, again, it's impossible to steer a parked car. The only way you can really make adjustments in your business is to just get freaking moving and make mistakes. You can't even see, you can't even see what's like around the next corner because you're freaking parked in your car. <laughs> it's such a good analogy. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. <laughs> But it's it's funny because it's such a good analogy and it's also hilarious the way you put that. Oh my God. Okay. The market today, 
well, it's it's tougher. There's a lot, some fear out there, ups, downs. What do you what do you what do you tell a new investor to watch out for? What do you like? What do you what do you what are you telling them? I think this is another farce that you know. I think people are into short term wins. Um, mm. You know, if I go back to when I was investing in real estate, Kara and I, when we started investing in real estate. Our goal was two income producing properties a year for 10 years. That was like my dude, if I could just get 20 houses over the next 10 years and I owned those houses until I was 65, home run. But in this day and age, with all the gurus, you know, everybody, we want, we want fast wins. I can't tell you how many times I talk to somebody that's like, oh, I just need to replace, you know, seven thousand dollars of income a month with passive income. I'm like, dude, that's 70 houses, man. Like, <laughs> and people just think it's going to be so easy. And the reality is it's not that easy. And so you have to look at investing as the long game. Don't mm. freaking quit your job. Keep your job. Like keep your day job until you have a business that is going to like take you there. So you have a business model that's going to take you there. Um, now, when you get it, jump in. Like I'm all, I quit and went all in. But also I think there's so many people that think that you know, it's going to be so easy. And here's the thing that I'll tell you about real estate. Real estate is just another business. If you're going to get successful in real estate and have 50 or 70 houses, you're literally just running another business. And so what so many investors think when they're first getting started is, you know, oh, this is going to be easy. And, you know, I listened to Mike and he just started investing 12 years ago. And now he has, you know, 3,500 mobile home park pads and 45 single family properties and all this stuff. And it was so easy. Well, it can be easy, but you have to build a business around it. And so I would tell new investors, don't, don't look in the short run, look in the long run. Like don't be thinking about the next one to three years, especially in this market environment right now, because nobody knows what's going to happen in the next one to three years. But here's what I can tell you almost for sure. Can't guarantee this, but I think there's probably a 96% chance that any property that you buy today, if you can figure out how to keep it for five to 10 years, it's probably going to be worth more money in five to 10 years than it is today. And it's probably going to cash flow along the way. The key to that is being able to keep it that long. And if you're buying properties that are in a negative cash flow position or you're not able to make money on, there's no way you're going to keep it for five to 10 years. So focus on cash flow in the short run and focus on long term buys. Meaning, if you want to flip houses, go ahead, figure it out. I've never flipped a house in my life because I'm I'm in it for the long term. And so many people have this short term philosophy. And I'm just saying right now in times like this, those are the people that are going to get their ass handed to them because nobody knows what's going to happen in the market, especially the real estate market in the next one to two years, interest rates, all the mm. above. But I promise you, if you have a business model in real estate that you can cash flow through the next one to two to three years, and you can hold that for five to 10 home run. Bam. Boom. Boom. I love it. Uh, you got to be somewhere at noon, don't you? Yeah. Oh man, that flew by. Come on. Well, dude, we got three minutes. Let's talk about what we're doing just at the end of this 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 three minutes. What are you excited? So, me and Mike are putting together a luxury real estate fund for short term rentals. What do you what excites you about the luxury market? Why do you see it winning, both in the short term term and the long term? So, the reason why I'm excited about this is because I've always had a vision that someday Kara and I would own two, three, four, five houses in these luxury markets. It might be part of my legacy plan, whatever, because. I believe in the luxury markets and I believe in these certain spaces that never really 
even Phoenix, you hear like in downturns, Phoenix gets beat up, but the reality is those luxury markets, they don't, they keep going and demand just keeps mm. getting better and the prices. So anyway, this has been part of my vision for a long time, but I just always kind of thought it would be something I'd do in 10 or 15 or 20 years. And then when you and I started talking about it and utilizing these luxury homes um, and letting other people use that for you know, whether it's weddings or masterminds or corporate retreats or whatever it is, um, seeing your excitement around the business model around it, knowing that I wanted to be invested in these communities anyway, and knowing that this was like a 10 or 20 year from now plan for me, but seeing your business vision around it and, and seeing how excited you were, I'm excited about luxury homes. I'm excited about luxury markets, but what I'm really freaking excited about is your vision and the fact that you you get excited about that business and being able to team up with you and see that come to pass is like super exciting. Well, I couldn't be more excited. I get to team up with a master, a Titan in the industry, one of my best friends and uh, one of, I mean, my mentor, you know, I, I seek, I seek you for so much, not just business, but family life, personal, like you are my go-to. So man, honored to be partnered with you on this and, we are uh we're gonna have a lot of a lot of fun along the way yeah i'm excited too man so um yeah i mean come out and meet us at a house come out and invest with us it's gonna be so fun we'll go golfing we'll go shooting we'll we'll do we'll do it all man yep. um thank you for hopping on i know you got to go but I, I appreciate you i love you and i know my listeners are going to get so much out of this yeah man thanks for having me let's do round two and i always said if it's not fun i'm not doing it and that's why we're doing this uh, vacation equity group. It's going to be fun. Let's freaking go. Yeah.